Welcome to Naomi's Table, a Bible study podcast for women. I'm your host, Amy Spreeman. Check out all the Bible studies at Naomi'sTable.com. Now here's teacher Beth Seifert with today's lesson in 2 Corinthians. So pull up a chair, open your Bibles, and let's begin. Welcome back to our study in the book of 2 Corinthians, ladies. Today we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, and I've titled this lesson, Day 19, Revelations and Thorns. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So remember the audience as we jump in here today. This is Corinth, the same church who is boastful and proud and had to be rebuked by Paul in the first letter that we have for their emphasis on the spiritual gifts, to the point that they were not only misusing the gifts, but abusing those whom they deemed to have lesser gifts. They are so enamored with the things of the world that they continually have trouble remembering what God's economy looks like and how God uses the weak things in the world to shame the wise. They continue to see things upside down, and Paul spending all this time on this boasting because it is necessary to demonstrate to them that their priorities really are out of whack. Chapter 10, Paul dealt with the personally slanderous claims of the false teachers, contrasting it with what he actually has done and the fruit that is in him versus these false teachers. Chapter 11, Paul continues that defense of himself and also recounts his sufferings for the sake of Christ. So Paul is going to boast again, and again he is doing this to teach the Corinthians and to respond to the false teachers. Very likely, those false teachers had great tales of their heavenly visitations and visions and everything else in order to try to gain more of a following and to validate their claims to authority. Now, I will say before we look at his specific boasting that there has been debate as to whether Paul was speaking about himself, someone else, 
or speaking sarcastically here, but the way in which he switches from third person to first person in the middle of the story leads me to think that Paul was speaking about himself here, boasting, so to speak, in an actual experience that he did have. Fourteen years before writing this letter, Paul had a vision. This subterfuge and distancing of himself from this experience show how distasteful this is for Paul to even discuss this. He hates self-promotion, yet is being forced into it in this way because of these false teachers. So in Paul's vision, he was caught up to the third heaven. Now, when they refer to first heaven, they'd be talking about the birds and the clouds, basically the sky. The second heaven was outer space, stars. And the third heaven was heaven where God rules and reigns. Even as Paul says this, though, he puts so many guardrails around it that you really understand how much he doesn't want to talk about this. He honestly admits he doesn't know whether this was a vision only or whether he was actually physically caught up into the third heaven. He freely admits his lack of confidence while also freely resting in the knowledge that God does know exactly what did happen. Paul was caught up into paradise And again, he emphasizes that he isn't sure of the physicality of this experience. And he heard things there that cannot be told. Paul asserts that it was a real experience, but that what he heard he is not allowed to or not able to communicate. He says he will boast on behalf of this man who had the vision, but will only boast in his own weakness on his own behalf. He again asserts that he does have the ability to boast in himself, but he chooses not to, so that no one can elevate Paul above anyone else, and so that Christ may ultimately be made supreme. But then Paul says this in verse 7, and this is why I think Paul is talking about himself. He says, But to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. So look at that a moment. If Paul wasn't the one who had the revelation, the surpassingly great revelations, why would there be a danger that he would boast in them? The revelations were given to Paul, and so that Paul would not boast in himself or in those, God humbled Paul so he wouldn't think too highly of himself. Now, we need to pause again for a moment and consider this information. Paul was given a vision of heaven, or perhaps even he was caught up into heaven. And Paul was either commanded not to speak about it or was prevented in some way from talking about it. Paul, the apostle, called directly by Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul, who performed verifiable miracles through the Holy Spirit's work in his life. Paul, who had all the credentials that you would trust if someone was going to tell you about going to heaven. But he doesn't. We can see from how Paul is speaking about this experience that this was not a normal experience for anyone to have, and he would not use this as an example of something to be able to boast in. If it was common, everyone would be able to do it, and there would be no boasting necessary. So please keep that in mind, because heaven tourism is not a thing. It isn't and never was. If Paul wasn't allowed to speak of what he saw and heard there, We should absolutely not credit those who do not have Paul's credentials when they insist that they have been to heaven and can tell us about it. If we count up all the people in scripture who are given a glimpse of heaven, Isaiah, a couple of other prophets, John, Paul, on both hands, 
This is obviously not supposed to be part of our daily Christian life that we should be expecting or that we should be looking to as evidence of our faith being real. Paul's boasting lies firmly in his own weakness, pointing not to himself but to God. Although Paul truly has things to boast in that are real and would be esteemed by human standards, he refrains so that he isn't the focus. And then we come to the thorn that Paul was given. Whatever this thorn was, and he doesn't explain that either, we know that it must have been somehow limiting and observable to others. It helped keep Paul humble. Think about it. If no one knew he had this weakness, it wouldn't be a big deal. I mean, if he could hide it, then it wasn't really impairing him, right? But instead, this was something that, very possibly, people would look at Paul and say, how could Paul, the guy with that issue, be the one who whom God would call and use so mightily? How could he have the gospel of life? How could he be the one to do all this, going around and preaching and surviving all these things that should easily have wiped him out? It can only be the power of God keeping this guy alive. And that does seem to be the reaction people had to Paul. They expected this mighty, powerful guy, and then they see him and think, that's it? Yet Paul did have these great revelations of heaven, but he was so obviously limited in his scope that he didn't boast about it. Instead, he boasts in his weakness. His weakness and what he lacks is clearly seen, and in his lacking, Christ is shown sufficient and powerful. It is in his weakness that the power of the gospel is truly perceived and evident. So Paul will be content in all his weaknesses, in all that he endures, because in it all he has learned where his strength and grace truly come from, Christ. When Paul is weak, his reliance on Christ is all the more evident, as it is Christ who sustains him. This amazing event happened 14 years prior, yet Paul has not built his ministry around that experience. Many would have made this the touchstone of their teaching, but Paul, through the grace of God, keeps the gospel as the focus. In his actual boasting, Paul boasts about a request that he makes of God that God does not fulfill for Paul. He boasts in a prayer that was given the answer, no. The norm for false teachers is to boast in their intimate relationship with God, wherein God gives them all their desires because of how important they are to God, so God never says no to them. But the example from Paul is clear. He boasts in God saying no to him. Paul sees his suffering as a reason to rejoice, knowing Christ's power is at work within him when he is weak. This is a hard one for me to prepare today, ladies, I'll be honest. With all the things that go wrong, when sickness, medical bills, car repairs, disrespectful offspring, and just everything seems to pile up, it can be so hard to remind ourselves that none of that is God's disfavor. Life happens, trials come, and God is still good in and through it all. Even when you can't see a way to make the finances stretch, God has it all worked out. The sin issues that are resulting in strained relationships are not here forever, but only for a time, as God refines and strengthens those very relationships through it all, and God is still to be praised. We can still rejoice even when we feel discouraged and so weak, and we feel unable to cope. We can't cope. We can't. But God can. He is the one who sees the end result even when we don't. 
He knows what he has planned for us, and he is working it all together. And at the end of the day, I would rather be with Paul, boasting in my inability to rescue myself, than I would be boasting with the false teachers who receive their reward in full in this life. So ladies, where are you at today? Are you looking for experiences to boast in? Are you looking for status or wealth or power or position for your importance? When we are self-sufficient, are we really giving glory to God? When we are weak, when we are given hardships, persecutions, calamities, and all the rest, do we rejoice that God is the one who sustains us? Or do we worry and mourn our situation, complaining and grumbling? I can't help but be reminded of what Charles Spurgeon said, and so I'm going to end this lesson today with that quote. He says, Remember this, had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are in, divine love would have put you there. Ladies, God will work out everything for His glory and your good if you are His. Wherever you are right now, God knew you would be there and knew this was where it was best for you to be. Rest in Him and know that when you are weak, then you are in the best position to rely on Him and see the strength that He will work in and through you. Ladies, you'll find the notes for the study under the Bible Studies tab of the website, naomistable.com, Day 19, Revelations and Thorns.